Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Jared Gaynor. Jared is currently the pitching coach in the Minnesota Twins organization. In this episode, we talk a lot about developing pitchers and how to go about it from the time that they're just starting playing baseball at 9 and 10 years old all the way through college and into professional. So if you're a coach who you know has, has a team or you're a pitching coach and you want to know more about how to develop pitchers, how to go about it in a safe manner because let's face it, injuries are always on our mind as coaches, especially when we're working with pitchers. Jared has done so much research on, on how to go about keeping arms healthy from the time kids are young all the way through high school. So he is the best of the best when it comes to understanding what you should and shouldn't be focusing on as a as a coach when you're working with pitchers. So Jared and I are going to be doing a free live training on March 27th. So what we decided to do is we decided to team up together. It's going to be a live virtual event on March 27th. Jared's going to be giving a presentation on how to help pitchers throw more strikes. He's got tons of great visuals and information that you're going to be able to see and take take right away and, and help out your, your pitchers. And then I'm going to be giving a presentation on, on how to hit those strikes harder and make better swing decisions as hitters. And so if you have hitters or, and you're working with a, you know, a team or maybe you're just a hitting coach, we're going to have some great examples for making better swing decisions and how to help them formulate a plan at the plate and, and attack that plan too. So if you head to patrickjonesbaseball.com slash gainer and type in your name and email, you will be sent the live training. If you can't make it on March 27th, don't worry about it. We're going to make sure we send you the replay of it too. patrickjonesbaseball.com slash gainer. Type in your first name and email, and you'll be sent all the information in the weeks to come. This episode is brought to you by Driveline Plus. Driveline Plus is a membership site from Driveline Baseball. I've been a member of it for several years. It is a fantastic resource. If you are a coach with a growth mindset and you want to know more information and to be able to help out your players, these guys put out so much content, it's unbelievable on the hitting side, on the pitching side. It's it's fantastic. So if you head to drivelinebaseball.com slash plus and type in coupon code Jones25, drivelinebaseball.com slash plus and type in coupon code Jones25, you're going to receive $25 off your first year of Driveline Plus. Can't recommend it enough. Great resource. Tons of content, drills, everything. So drivelinebaseball.com slash plus. Type in coupon code Jones25 for $25 off. Here is now my episode with Jared Gaynor. All right, we now welcome on Jared Gaynor. Jared, thanks for coming on the show today, man. Thanks for having me, Pat. Um, what is this? Our third, fourth, fifth? Might time? be. I, honestly, it might be our fifth or sixth. Yeah, you might be right. No, I've I've really enjoyed every other time I've been on the podcast, and excited to be on again. I think a couple of the early ones. I think I actually had to go back and delete because I said some said some things maybe that weren't accurate, but um, the rest of them are still back on there. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. Is that back in our Lima days? We said yeah, back in our Lima days. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you've been, you've been now, I mean, geez, you've coached really pretty much every, every level that I can think of. I mean, college, summer baseball, college baseball, high school level, now professional level too, as a, all as a pitching coach. What, if, if someone asked you like, what's the main thing you've learned throughout all your years coaching so far, what would it be from a pitching coach standpoint? Yeah. You know, I think early on when I first got into coaching, I felt like I had to prove that I knew it all and I had to talk a lot and, you know, try to use big words and try to convince the player that I actually knew what I was talking about. And as time has gone on, I've realized less is more with that. Like they're, you know, they're going to realize over time that you do know what you're talking about or you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and it's just a matter of, of building that relationship and that trust and, and really not using words as much. Like when I'm in a drill setting or I'm trying to get a guy to make a certain change, I'll use a little bit of words, but I'm trying to you know, allow the environment of the drill um, and me demonstrating it to, to get my point across more than just using words. What about during games? Have you changed at all on how you go about working with pitchers in between innings or when they're on the mound? Yeah, you know, and I don't think there's necessarily a perfect answer for this. And the level you're at could dictate some of the things you're going to do. You know, if I'm in a high school game, you know, working with a pitcher versus maybe in a, a professional setting, that conversation is going to be a little bit different. Um, but I think at the end of the day, once again, less is more in between innings. There's, you know, anytime you start focusing on, you know, things too in depth during a game, like their delivery or, you know, certain things like that, they're going to cause them to go more internal. Um, I, I think that's a slippery slope. So whenever I'm talking to a player in between innings, it's usually very short and brief. Um, and it's, it's something maybe just to boost their confidence or just to draw their attention to something, you know, more external. And, um, and I think a good way to do this is to, to have a plan going into the game and, and having, you know, a goal and a process, whether it's, you know, today I want to throw more first pitch strikes. And let's, let's go on with that example. If a guy's goal that day is I want to throw more first pitch strikes and that's all I want to focus on, then that might be the conversation. I'm going to talk to me between innings about continuing to be aggressive and attacking the, pit, the hitter from pitch one. Um, so I think just, you know, less is more once again, and just focusing um, on things that are simple and things that are going to draw them more to executing. One of the things that surprised me when I was in professional baseball was now I wouldn't say like how little players knew, but I think one of the mistakes I made was assume that they, they knew a lot of the things that they didn't actually know. And having worked with even players at younger levels now who are growing up with a lot of the technology and analytics, it seems that some of the younger players that I coach this may, may sound crazy. Like even the high school ones right now are probably more up to date and more like they understand kind of what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to look for more than some of the guys that I even had in professional baseball. Is that the same? Would you say on your, on your end of things too, on the pitching side? It's hard to say, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to be with a really good organization with, you know, with the Minnesota twins. And um, now I haven't worked for another organization, so I don't know what other teams are doing and the way they communicate with players. Um, but, you know, we're, we're very transparent with our players and we have really good dialogue with the things we want them to achieve. And we don't hide a lot of stuff from them. So I, I feel like our players here um, have a pretty good knowledge of who they are, what we're trying to achieve, you know, on the pitching side, whether it's mechanically, pitch development, execution. Um, you know, we, we try to explain to them pretty clearly um, what we're trying to achieve and the why behind it. Um, so I would say, like, our guys are pretty good with that. Um, you know, at the high school level, like, I still work with some high school kids, you know, during the offseason or college. 
And, uh, and you're right. Those kids are pretty, you know, they, they know quite a bit. Like it's yeah. actually pretty impressive for a 16 year old to be able to carry on a conversation um, about the delivery in a pretty detailed way. And, um, you know, doesn't mean they know everything. They might read something and think they got it figured out. But um, the fact that kids are searching for information and want to learn and want to get better, um, I think it's really exciting. And I think it's our job as a coach um, to narrow their focus and help, you know, put up some guardrails for that to make sure they're staying on the right path. Outside of the, of course, velocity and, you know, having good pitches and plus shapes and all that stuff, what's the biggest difference between you working with a high school player and a, a high level pitcher, professional baseball? I think it's just their ability to adapt quicker. Um, you know, when you're working with a high school kid, it's very rare they're going to make a change that same day or that same week or even that same month. Um, I just think the learning curve is a little bit slower at times. Um, with younger kids, you know, as you get older and, you know, with especially once you get to the upper level minor leagues and especially major leaguers, they just have such good awareness of what they're doing in their body. And they're able to make adjustments because they're just in such good tune with um, the way they move and what they need to do. Um, so I would say that's the biggest thing is just getting to know yourself better and understand your strengths and, and understand how to make adjustment adjustments quicker. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, I would say the exact same thing that literally you just said on the hitting side too. just the, that awareness piece is so crucial. And, and those who can understand that at an earlier, younger age, I think th those are the ones who you see just rise up uh, quicker and through levels, even, and even just at the high school level, I just are able to play better day to day um, when they have to do with failure. Cause of, cause like you said, of that awareness piece, when it comes to you know, one of the things that I've noticed over over the time that I was in professional baseball and just the last couple of years in general is how much the slider is being emphasized. And I talk to other people in other organizations and they say the same thing. And I and again, I, it's not my background, more so you. That's why I'm bringing it up here. But I've heard from a lot of people that the slider is really hard, a lot harder on the arm than the curveball. So when you're working with younger players, I mean, at, at what age do they start making that transition to throw the slider or should they not? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question and something that gets talked about a lot, like really with any off-speed pitch, you know, it's talked about a lot at the amateur level. When should they throw it? How often? Is it more stressful on the arm? And to, to start with the stress part, you know, I, it's hard to say that it's more stressful than, than a fastball. It, I think it depends on how you throw it. Um, and there's really a lot of other factors that go into the stress piece. Um, but one thing I will say is if you've only thrown fastballs for your whole career and you get to, you know, 13, 14 years old and you start throwing off speed pitches, you just need to be aware of the volume that you're doing. You can't that first day start throwing a breaking ball and all of a sudden you're throwing it half the time. I think the volume is probably the more critical piece, not to overdo it when you're first starting out. Um, but to start with the age piece, like I don't really know what the exact age is where you should start throwing it. Like I, you know, I was throwing breaking balls when I was nine or 10 and it's mm -hmm. probably because I had brothers that were in high school that were pitchers and I just wanted to be like them. So I said, I'm going to throw a, a curveball. <laughs> and whether that was right or wrong, like, I, I don't know if anyone can really say the right answer, but what I will say is kids at the younger levels should focus on the fastball from a long-term development standpoint. Because as you know, even for position players, like your ability to throw the ball hard um, it benefits every single position um, with maybe the exception of first base because they rarely have to throw the baseball. Um, but throwing velocity and like knowing how to throw well and be athletic, like it's important no matter what position you play. And I just think 
that that's something that pitchers should focus on at the younger ages is focusing on just developing that fastball and being athletic. So you're saying that there's, so maybe I guess the information I was getting was wrong. Throwing a slider isn't necessarily harder on your arm than a breaking ball. In some cases, maybe it is like, it just depends on the way you throw it. I, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was driveline actually then had an article about that a few years ago about it being more stressful or people saying it was more stressful. And, um, I can't remember the details of the article, but they sort of were debunking that theory. And, uh, but Gene, Dean Jackson, who's from driveline, actually, he had a post on his Instagram, I think it was a week or two ago. And someone asked the same question, like is throwing off speed pitches more stressful on the arm. And I liked what Dean said. He said, it's not necessarily more stressful. It's just a different type of stress because you're putting your arm in different positions. So coming back to the volume piece, if I'm never throwing sliders and all of a sudden I start throwing a lot of them, there's a good chance that maybe I'm going to get injured or something's going to flare up. Um, but if I ease into and I have a process for you know how I'm going to go about it, then it's probably going to be a safer way to do it. So I think context is important um, and what your process is for using it. And I'm sure part of it too is technique, right? I mean, that, that's got to be a part of, of keeping these young pitchers arms safe when it comes to them, when they start throwing breaking balls. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's why I like to start the fastball. Like most kids are, I shouldn't even say kids. There's players of all ages that don't necessarily have the cleanest delivery when they're throwing a baseball with the fastball, never mind a breaking ball. And what you'll see a lot at younger ages with off-speed pitches, when they first start to learn them, they throw differently. Their mechanics start to change a little bit. Um, so I think that's another thing to like pay attention to is like, are they, is their arm starting to climb up a little bit higher when they throw a breaking ball versus throwing a fastball? Um, and just making sure that like everything is staying relatively the same. Um, there's going to be minor changes in the delivery naturally. Um, but I think the more consistent we can get kids to be, uh, the better it'll be in the long run. How hard do they need to be throwing to start implementing or working on a changeup? It's another good question. Uh, I would say, I mean, there's not like a certain velocity, but I would say it's probably more the level you're at. Like I would say high school, it's probably be good to start having a changeup. Um, but even at that level, like guys that throw hard, that throw changeups at the high school level, they're almost doing the hitter a favor by throwing them a changeup if they have above average velocity. Um, but yeah, I would say like the fastball at the youth level should, should continue to be the priority. Um, and once you get to high school, you want to throw a changeup, you want to throw a breaking ball, like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I don't know if there's like exactly an answer to that, but I, I don't think a kid should necessarily be throwing a change up if he's 10 years old and he's throwing, you know, 50 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. There's not going to be much really, difference. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, it's just like, we're skipping steps. Like we're, we're trying to be a polished pitcher that has a three pitch mix when we can't even throw a straight fastball and we cut our fastball. So like, that's another thing actually with kids. I see like I'm giving lessons to kids now. Um, quite a bit about, you know, the age of 10 to 12 years old. And by far, one of the most common things I see with that age is they cut the fastball. Their hand is supinated, so they're on the side of it. And it's almost like a slider. Like they're literally throwing bad sliders at me. And like, that's all I'm focused on with a lot of these kids is getting them to just have clean backspin. I'm adjusting the grip and teaching them how to hold the baseball properly. Um, and, and just trying to get them to throw a good forcing fastball and, and throw it, you know, with intent. And I think like, that's the issue. Like I'll hear parents talk or, you know, sometimes coaches at the youth level, they're just, they're trying to skip these steps. They're trying to turn a 10 year old into a, you know, a Friday night starter at division one school. And they're, they're skipping all of these things that lead to that. So I just, I just think it comes back to, you know, focusing on the basics and mastering the, the foundation before we move on, you know, to step three, four, five, six, seven. How, before you can move on to this step three, four, five, six, seven, how do you know you're ready 
for those next steps? Uh, what, like, what do you, cause I'm sure people listening to this or watching it are going to be like, okay, well, a kid just struck out a couple guys in a row with fastballs. Like, is he ready to move to that next step? I would say it depends on the age. Um, if he, he's, you know, 10 to 12 and he's striking kids out the fastball, I would say, let's keep throwing the fastball. Let's keep working on it. Let's continue to just be athletic. And as I continue to get bigger and stronger, I'm going to throw harder. Um, but that's usually a common question you'll hear, you know, kids that throw hard in little league and they're striking kids out with just fastballs. It's that question comes up a lot. Okay. Are they ready to start developing off speed pitches? And like, I don't think it necessarily changes the, the timeline. Um, you know, I, I would say by the time you get to middle school, like maybe we start messing around with a breaking ball or high school. Um, once again, there's no, I don't know, there's no direct answer that I can give. I know I'm sounding really vague with this. Um, but I think if you do have a system, at least in a process that makes sense, logical sense, I think you're going to be better off than just, you know, throwing something at the wall and hoping it sticks. But if you actually sit down as a youth coach or whatever age you coach at, think about what's actually important at that level, what's important at the next level, and then develop a process that's going to help them get there. It's the same thing in, in professional baseball. You know, I, I coach at the, the single A level. And really, you got to think about, OK, where is a big leaguer at? What do what are the big leaguers doing um, that we think is important? And now we work back down to AAA. OK, by the time they get to AAA, what are the benchmarks that they need to be able to hit before they're ready to move up? So you just keep working backwards. So the goals that, you know, say a single A pitcher has to get to high A aren't going to necessarily be the same that it takes for a AAA pitcher to get to the big leagues. There's a process. And you know this to me. I think you worked at the single A level last year. And I'm sure the things that were important at that level, maybe they're not as important at the AAA level, or it just becomes more specific. And the, you know, the challenges become a little bit different. So it's just understanding where you're at and what's actually important to get to the next level. And like, what does that timeline look like, you know, moving up the chain to high school and college? So if you're running a travel baseball organization and implementing exactly what you just said, basically or basically what you're saying is if you're running a travel baseball organization like you need to know everyone needs to know what those steps are like they should already be outlined from the time that they're eight or nine years old which is crazy for travel baseball and then all the way up to 17 18 right yeah absolutely like i think if yeah if i'm running a travel ball organization me and my other staff members i think we would be serving our kids best by having a plan in place like let's not just roll them out on a weekend and try to win as many championships as we can. Cause no one cares, honestly. And like, like, is that, that never mind. I don't want to go down. A, a road. But, but yes, back to your question. Yes. Have a plan in place. Like that's, I always come back to that with everything I do, whether it's developing pitches, you know, cleaning up the delivery, having a game plan against an opposing team, have a plan, have a process. It doesn't have to be perfect and it's not going to be perfect because it's going to adapt over time, but you have to start somewhere. You have to have some sort of core system that you're following and then adapt it over time as you learn more and become a better coach. Um, but without that plan in place, you're, you're simply just going to be guessing and you're just going to be doing random things with different kids, you know, you know, every, every other chance you get. And it's just not going to be best for the kid long-term. Well, I think what, what ends up happening with some of these coaches, you may not have the background as someone like you from, a, from that pitching side is, you know, they're worried about getting kids hurt, you know, and especially if as a pitcher, a youth pitcher. So, I mean, for those coaches out there who are, who are worried about that, which I mean, I, I totally understand. I mean, I'm a hitting guy, so you don't have to really worry about that with kids taking swings, but what advice would you give them? 
I would say pay attention to what the kid is doing throughout the week and not just what they're doing on the weekends. And what I mean by that is, you know, pitch counts are in place and I think they're, you know, they're, they're fine. They, they have a place, but if we're only going off of what the kid's doing in game in in one weekend, we're not accounting for all the workload the kid has done during the week leading up to that or the little workload that he has had. And I think that's a bigger problem is when the kid isn't built up enough to handle the stress of throwing, you know, in two games in a weekend. So if the kid isn't playing catch or doing anything during the week and all of a sudden on the weekend, you want them to, you know, throw 50 to 60 pitches. Yeah. Maybe 50 to 60 pitches isn't that much for a weekend, but if the kid isn't built up and his arm isn't in shape for that, that's when we get into trouble. Um, so it, it comes back to the acute to chronic workload. So the acute being more of a, a smaller sample, think of like a week or less and chronic being what does his workload look like over the course of a month or more. And when that, when that acute workload gets spiked often and it goes up really high, that's when we're going to see things start to break down and we're putting our kids at risk to have some injuries. So I would just say, once again, have a plan for what their workload is throughout the week and make sure that their arm is ready to handle the workload that they're doing. So don't have them throw one inning one weekend and the next weekend they go five innings like that. Mm. That's a huge spike from throwing 15 to 20 pitches. All of a sudden I'm throwing 50 to 60 pitches the next week. So I would just have more of a plan in place with that. And truthfully, I would err on the side of having more pitchers, have as many pitchers as you can on your team. So you never have to run the risk of working a kid too much in a game, have a plan in place to where it's almost pre-scripted. And, you know, for coaches that really care about winning the tournaments at the younger ages, this might be hard for them because they want to throw their best kids more often. But honestly, what I would do is I would have a plan. Like it would almost be predetermined who's going to pitch what inning and it's going to be mapped out. The kid's going to know when he's going to pitch. And now during the week, we can plan accordingly to prepare him for that outing. What if the kid's cruising through two or three innings and that was the plan beforehand? So it would depend on his pitch count. So are you saying maybe his pitch counts lower than what you expected and he's just dominating them? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, for the people that I've, I've been able to, I've talked to, you know, there's different types of stress, right? I mean, if you're out there just grinding, you know, it, you're long at bats and if you just, you feel stressed, like you feel tired and you, you know, that type of thing on the mound versus there's times I'm sure you've gone out there and barely broken a sweat and you're just rolling through a few innings. I mean, I, I don't, I'm sure that can't be the same equivalent stress wise as to when you're just grinding through and just trying to do everything you can to get guys out. Right. For sure. Um, and I don't know how to measure that exactly, but you're exactly right. Whether it's mentally more fatiguing, which absolutely it is to where you're having runners in scoring position every inning and you're fighting to get three outs um, versus having one, two, three innings. Um, but I would also say those situations where you're grinding out innings, your pitch counts probably getting higher um, than those other outings. So to answer your question, yeah, if a kid's cruising, maybe he goes an extra inning, or if you want to continue with your plan of your script of having those pitchers get that work in, then maybe you take the kid out and he throws, you know, another inning in the bullpen just to get his workload to where it needs to be and make sure his pitch counts getting to where it needs That's to be. That's a good idea. That's good. Uh, and I was there that, a certain eight? Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say you could do that. Or if he's cruising, you want him to go one more, he can go one more. And then a kid on the back end that was supposed to say go two innings and he now can only go one because there's only one inning left in the game he can go one and then throw an extra inning in the bullpen after it, there's, you can figure that out how you want it to, um, to make sure their workload staying where you want it to be. Would it be that same mindset all the way through to, to college or would it be the older that they get, you start playing to win? 
So this is, this is an interesting conversation that I've had with other coaches before, because like there is something to be said for, you know, playing highly competitive games where, yeah, the goal is to win the game. And when you do get to, you know, high school, like when I was in high school, I wanted to win a state championship. When I got to college, I wanted to have a chance to play, you know, an NCAA tournament and hopefully go on past that. So there's without a doubt, like winning is important. Like it, it becomes important. Like that's what, you know, for a lot of kids, like that's a big motivator. It's, you know, no one likes to lose. We're trying to win the game. Um, I, you know, I think you need to start integrating that probably at a young age, but not at the expense of hurting the kid. Um, you know, talk about, you know, talk about like our goal and what we're trying to achieve, but like not at the expense of the kid getting injured. And I, I really think it's like that at every level for the most part. Um, you know, you're talking about and you're showing the value in it, but you're not going to put a kid at risk. And I think by us focusing on development and trying to get kids better, like that's going to help us win games in the long run, right? Like if our guys are getting better and we're, they're getting better results, they're, you know, pitchers are, they're throwing more strikes, they're throwing harder, their stuff's getting better. We're going to be in a better position to win. So I think it comes back to focusing more on the process rather than the end result. Um, but you're right. Like there still needs to be something on the mind of like, well, the reason we're doing this because our goal is to win the game. Our, we're trying to achieve something that's greater than what I'm trying to do as an individual. It's about the team collectively coming together and by us all working together and trying to develop ourselves to be the best players we can be, that should ultimately help the team, you know, win, which is like the ultimate goal as a team. What's, and you may have already answered this um, to an extent, what's a no-no though? Like what's something if you were to hear this happen from, uh, you know, just someone else talking you hear about a travel organization or a, a team and you hear a pitcher pitched, you know, I don't know, back to back days. Like what's something that's like can never happen if you're really, if you really do care about the players. For an amateur player, a youth player, like. Yeah. Yeah. Amateur, like all the way up to 17, 18, all the way down um, from a pitching standpoint. Yeah, uh, for sure. I would say not throwing twice in the same day, which <laughs> I, I personally pitched twice in the same day, a couple of times in high school really? tournaments, which thinking back on, I'm like, wow, it's amazing. I didn't blow out right there. But it's, you, And you ended up having Tommy John though, right? Uh, yeah. Which, you know, I'm that I don't know the exact source of what it led to that, but yeah, it could have been just that workload over time, you know, finally caught up to me eventually. But um, yeah, I would say that's a for sure no-no, like not throwing twice in the same day. And really, like if we're talking a Friday to Sunday tournament, very rarely should they probably be throwing twice in the same weekend. If we're talking, you know, youth players, like maybe if they threw one inning Friday, they could throw one or two on Sunday. Um, but once again, it comes back to what are they built up for? What are they ready to handle? Um, so that would be a, a no-no. Um, I, I think just in general, not just for pitchers, but all position players, like, not having a tournament every single weekend. Um, there, there needs to be some, some time off for a kid. I believe that, like, I don't think a kid necessarily needs to shut down for three months. Cause like there's some kids that just love to play baseball and they want to play year round. Like, and I think that's great. If you're playing because you love it and you want to have fun, I think that's great. Um, I think though that there needs to be a, a little bit of downtime from the, the weekend games of, you know, whether it's in-game pitching or just constant, you know, that grind of, of playing every weekend. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't still get working on your own and lower the volume a little bit. But um, I think there's there's some benefits to take a little bit of time off, whether it's to play another sport, um, to do some training on your own, or really just to take a break if you just want to, you know, just relax and take a mental breather from it. Okay, perfect. I'm glad you just lined me up for this next one. So 
obviously, you know this, everyone that you normally listens to the podcast, I'm not in professional baseball anymore. I'm just doing stuff on the private side. So I become very more, very aware of everything that's going on in the travel baseball world. And, and I'm actually helping kids get recruited and things of that nature. And one of the, so I've been, I'm aware of the schedule. And so I've basically, from what I've gathered, there's really eight to 10 weeks during the summer is when kids are playing. And it's usually a tournament every single weekend. And usually that tournament is Wednesday to Sunday or Thursday to Sunday. And there's even, I've heard of a few that are Tuesday to Sunday and it's every single weekend. So if you're, if you Jared are in charge of, of the pitching development, let's just say of a travel baseball organization out of those eight or nine weekends, you're saying that an organization should take off a certain amount of tournaments and just those are weeks that they don't do anything. You could do it that way. Or if the summer is the main part of the season, if you want to call it that, like, that's fine. You can play for eight straight weeks, but the fall or the winter, that needs to be a lot slower and quieter. It just can't be, in my opinion, every weekend throughout the entire year. But if like the summer is going to be what we call the season, like that's the main season. Like I have nothing against that. We're, so what would we talk? Eight, you said eight, eight to weeks. 10 weeks, eight to 10 weeks, four to five games a week. Yeah, probably. Yeah. At least we're talking. Yeah. So probably 40 ish games. Yeah. Summer, which I mean, that's not a, a little amount for an amateur player. Well, and, and that's right after high school baseball too. Oh, so you're talking about the high school age. No, no yeah. High school age kids. I, oh shoot. So yeah, that's, that's quite a bit because yeah, they're coming off of their high school season, which in my opinion, the high school season should be the main season. Like at least that's how it was when I was in high school. I don't know if it was like that for you, but like I was, my focus was on playing for my school and like trying to win a state championship. And I did play summer ball, but like my focus was the spring season. Like that was the main season for me. Was it like that for you? Yeah, it was, but it's completely opposite now. I mean, everyone is all about to travel, which I understand because that's where the college recruiting is at. I mean, I, I heard of a, co- a high school coach. Obviously, I won't say his name. He, he said that he, he has a few, pitch, few pitchers who are committed to playing college, and those college coaches are telling him as the high school coach how many pitches that they're going to be allowed to throw this year. The college coach is saying that to the high school coach? Yes, I've actually heard of that too. Maybe it was you. Maybe we had a conversation about yeah, that. Yeah, maybe we did. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I guess they're claiming them as their own already, but um, I don't know. That That's interesting. I think it's, it'd be valuable for the high school coach to have a relationship with the college coach. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but for a college coach to basically tell the high school coach what to do, that might be a little much, but um, I don't know. I haven't really been in that situation. I've never told a high school coach how to handle this pitcher when I was at a college. So going, okay. So now that, you know, it's for, well, I was referring to high school age. I should have, should have been more specific. Does your opinion change at all about those eight to 10 weeks now? Knowing that a lot of these kids, I mean, a lot of them, they could be doing position player stuff too during the week. Right. So yeah, on the pitching side, it might be a little different than position players. Like you said, like position players, you don't have to worry about the arm stress as much. I think you do a little bit. They're still throwing a lot. Um, so yeah, maybe you know, maybe you take off a weekend here and there, or you decide just to play the first half of the summer or just the second half of the summer. Um, splitting it up, like taking a break for a couple of weeks in between might not be the best just because of going back to the workload and what you're built up to. If you all of a sudden in the middle, just take a week or two off and then jump right back into it, that might not be the best situation for your arm either. So um, I would say once your spring season is over, 
there should be a little bit of downtime, like to let your arm, you know, rest a little bit, especially if you're the main pitcher and you threw a lot in the spring, should be a little bit of downtime. Then you need to make sure that you have enough time to build back up to be ready for the summer season. So once again, you can't just take time off after the season and then all of a sudden jump in a summer ball and you just hit, hit the ground running, you know, pitching every weekend. So it always comes back to making sure we get rest, but when we get rest, we also need to account for building back up before we're ready for game action again. So if they were to take a week off, they probably should just continue to do some practicing and throwing and stuff on their own. That'd be, would that be ideal? You're saying a week off between spring season and no, I get during this in the summer season. Yeah. Like if they wanted to take time, which I'm sure that happens. Like I would think kids go on vacations or something with their family to where, Hey, I'm not going to be there this week. Yeah. I would say, make sure you're, you know, at least playing catch and maybe throw one bullpen during the week. Um, or make sure you ease back into it the following week and your coaches and, you know, abusing you to throw two or three times during the week. Um, so yeah, it's, I would say that, that would be what I would do. Like if there are situations like that, when I played where I would maybe be out of town or miss for a week, I would always make sure that I kept throwing while I was, you know, out of town or wherever I was. Now, when it comes to actually coaching pitchers, you know, before the game actually even happens, like what should a, a good routine be for a, an amateur pitcher before the actual game? And then maybe post game too, if there is one. Yeah, I would say for a really young age, like the, let's just call it eight to 12 year olds, I would say let's just make sure we're getting our body warmed up. Let's do a good dynamic warm up, full body, make sure the full body is ready to go. If you want to do bands at that age, you could. I mean, probably closer to the 12 year old range. Like I, I do some of that stuff. I'll do some basic band exercise and use it almost as like a full body warm up with some of the exercises I'll have them do. Um, and then move straight into catch play after that. And if you want to have them do a couple of things in catch play, you know, some constraint based drills to kind of warm them up. I think that's fine too. Like I'll do like a, a pivot pick variation with the baseball or, or even just like a, a staggered stance torso throw just to kind of isolate the upper body a little bit and then maybe progress into catch play. Um, but really like at that age, there's not a lot of stuff you really need to do other than like, let's just make sure we get the body warm. Um, and then more than anything, I would say how they play catch is probably one of the more important things to make sure they're not just coming out first throw, chucking it as hard as they can, uh, but making sure there's a, you know, there's something that they're moving towards. They're starting off easy, gradually move back. And as the throwing session goes on, they, you know, gradually increase the intensity. Um, and I like to do a lot of uh, Alan Jager's principles with long toss, um, which is as you're going out, we're really keeping the body loose, getting an arc on the ball really trying to use as minimal of effort as we can as we're going out to the, the extension phase. And then once, once we reach our peak distance for the day, whatever we decide that is, then we start to pull down aggressively and throw the ball hard on a line as we come back in. Um, and what I like about that is, is it gives you really good feel for your arm. So this is a great, great idea for getting kids to feel their body and that awareness that we talked about earlier is they start to feel their arm. They start to understand how to control their body while throwing easy and gradually pick up the intensity. So that as they get older, like they'll be able to know how to throw at a 50 RPE or a 70 RPE, you know, effort. They know what that feels like and how to control their body. And they know how to tame the intensity or how to increase the intensity. Um, so that would be the main thing for at the younger levels, high school, like I think some guys might start to get more into plyo balls. Like I know high school kids actually are doing some sort of plan with that. So I would say, yeah, as long as you have a plan in place for that and the volume's not too high and you have a system that you're following for that, um, I think it's a similar uh, progression from going from a dynamic warm up, warming up the body, to then moving into some of our um, drill work um, with the plyo balls and then move into your catch play session. 
Um, and then as far as the post-game stuff um, after the game, I used to think that you should do a lot more, um, a lot more things. Like I used to be a big believer in um, doing a lot of exercises after the game and really having like a 30-minute routine. Um, but as I've um, gotten older and, and done this a little longer, I've, I've adapted that quite a bit to where really less is more. Like I said early on the podcast, like I think after a game, like a couple of the important things that players should do is they should eat a really good dinner or lunch, whatever time of day it is, eat a good meal right afterwards because they've probably gone, you know, at least two to three hours without eating anything. Um, so get hydrated, eat something good, and then just relax your mind. Like whether it's maybe you like to write in a notebook about how the game went, maybe you had goals for that day and you want to write about it, about how you thought the game went. Um, I, I think journaling is a great way to kind of cool yourself down after a game um, and kind of just relax your mind a little bit. Um, I think that, that those are a couple of the most important things is to eat a good meal, get hydrated, maybe just kind of debrief from the game and relax yourself and then get a really good night's sleep. What about icing? Icing, uh, I mean, some guys swear by it. They like to do it. Um, I'm not going to tell a, a player not to do it if he really likes to. Um, I personally don't do it or like recommend it. Um, I just, I don't really fully understand the purpose for it. Like the idea initially was that it would, you know, decrease inflammation. Um, but what's interesting is it also cuts off um, blood flow, right? So in blood flow, like that's what we want. We want fresh blood flow to the area. We want new blood to, to come to the area. Um, so like, I, I really don't know like what the benefits are of icing completely, but if some players like it, they think it helps them, then that's fine. They can go for it. Uh, what about uh, sprinting, doing sprints after the game? Like what I know, I'm sure I know the polls thing. Everyone knows that running polls is an idea ideal, but when should pitchers be running the running sprints? So that'd be like days they don't start. Yeah, I definitely probably wouldn't do it after a game. Cause think about it. Like, the game day, it's a, especially if say it's a starter and he's going, you know, five or six innings, we're talking a high school player at this point, but he's going five or six innings. Like that's, it's a pretty stressful day. Like he's basically on for two plus hours of, you know, going at full intensity and, and really straining the body and really what all spring is going to do afterwards. It's just going to add to that. It's just now we're going to add even more stress to it. Um, so, you know, if we want to talk about planning of when you should be running, um, it would be in between outings for sure, like an in between lifts as well, depending on like what your cycle is, if you're throwing every seven days or not. Um, but I would have it, you know, in between your lifts during the week. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. No, this has been a man. It's been a lot of fun. I, I mean, I personally, I know we talk all the time, but I've learned a lot of stuff, even just from the icing aspects, I hear stuff here or there, but I've never really dug into any of that stuff. Um, and, and for those who are listening to this episode right now on March 27th, Jared and I are going to be doing a, a webinar actually together. It's completely free. I'm not charging anything, just trying to get good information out there. And Jared, what you're going to be talking about is essentially how to strike out more hitters, correct? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to strike out hitters? I mean, that, that's the funnest part about pitching, right? <laughs> yeah. Now is, are you going to go into like, like, should you stare hitters down and does that equal more strikeouts later in the game? If you stare them down, or if you strike out and that type of thing. Well, you tell me, did you ever get stared down by a pitcher? Yeah, I think it kind of got to me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, the psychological game is very real. If you can get inside a, a hitter's head, you're golden. But so, yeah, we'll, we'll put out the link. Um, in the, the link will be in the show notes this episode so you can sign up there. But I, last thoughts that I kind of had was, what's, what's one thing that you hear a lot? Maybe it could be a cue. It could be a drill. That as a pitching coach, you've never seen work for a pitcher. 
I mean, the first thing that pops into my head is just throw strikes or throw more strikes. And that one's said all the time. I'm sorry, I can't really think of another one off the top of my head, but like that comes to mind. But along those same lines, verbal cueing in general doesn't stick all the time. And that's why I've gotten away from using verbal cues as my primary source to tell a player what to do, because it's, that's the way I interpret it. The, what I say to a player, whatever verbal cue I'm using for him, it makes sense to me, but it might not necessarily make sense to that player. That that's just the words that, that resonates with me. So if you are going to use verbal cues, you need to find the, the language that the player responds to the best and what actually makes sense to him. And one thing I found valuable when you do that is actually asking the player what, what he thinks that means and to have him demonstrate like, okay, what, what are you hearing? Like, what, what are you thinking I'm telling you to do right now? And have him using his own words, what, what he thinks you're trying to tell him to do. Um, I just think when we tell players, you know, things like throw more strikes or, um, you know, what would be another one? Um, stay in your, your legs more, or, you know, do things like that. Like it can have so many different meanings and, and it's just, it's tough to know like what's actually resonating with the player. Um, I think there's just a lot of better ways to go about it. And, and truthfully, like telling a kid to throw more strikes, I think is just kind of lazy. It's just a lazy way of saying, I don't like that you're walking guys right now. And I want you to throw more, more strikes, but I'm not going to take the time to actually tell you how to do that. Yeah. Or I don't um, know how. Yeah. Or they, or they don't know how. And, um, you know, speaking of the webinar, I initially was going to talk about strikes and how to reduce your walk rate. Um, which is going to be a little bit of my conversation about striking more guys out because I think there is an element of being able to command the baseball that plays a factor in striking guys out. Um, but it is an interesting topic. I'm, you know, truthfully, we could talk, a, you know, an hour long about strikeouts and walks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, again, March 27th, make sure to go to the show notes, sign up, and we'll be emailing out stuff leading up to it. But it'll be a lot of fun. And I, and I really feel it'll be very, very, very beneficial for everyone out there who does watch it. So Jared, appreciate it. As always, man, you are the longest tenured guest on this podcast, 240, over 240 episodes actually now. And so you have, you have earned that crown. So um, A, congratulations. And B, uh, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it, Pat. Um, as always, I enjoy this and looking forward to continuing to learn from you and the other guys you have on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode with Jared Gaynor. Again, if you're interested in learning more and wanting to check out our live presentation that we're going to be doing together on hitting and pitching, head to patrickjonesbaseball.com slash Gaynor. Put your first name and email in. The live training is going to be March 27th, so we're going to be talking about pitching, hitting. It can be a live presentation, going to be great images, videos, drills, everything you're going to be able to take and help out your players right away. So patrickjonesbaseball.com slash gainer. Put your name and email in, and we'll be sending some a lot more information your way in the next couple weeks. Hope everyone has a great week, and see everyone next time. 